great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. Well, I think that all depends on timeline. I think if we're not going to start until uh, the middle of May, it, we just go right in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately for the teams that were right there, that's how it works. Somebody, the way their races are this year, somebody's going to miss the playoffs by one or two points or three or four teams. Uh, it's going to be like that, however it is, and nobody can control this. It's not something that was dictated by another team. Uh, the owners, they had no control over this virus coming in. So I think if we're going to not start into, let's say, May, it's just head on with playoffs. Hello there and welcome to episode 38 of Sports and More, the podcast. My name is Dean Millard. That was Jeff Rogers, former NHLer uh, that you just heard from uh, discussing what might happen with the NHL season. Um Things are certainly up in the air for 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 pretty much everybody right now uh, in across the world. This is uh, bizarre times that uh, I don't think we've ever been through. Uh, there's a lot of people saying that they lived through this and that and the other thing. We haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime where uh, we're being told to stay at home. Um, hopefully you're uh, safe and you're healthy and we can give you a little bit of levity over the next uh, hour plus. Um, as I say, almost anything goes. On this show, uh, we usually stay away from politics and religion, but we'll give some thoughts and prayers. And uh, we need to hold our politicians accountable for uh, what is and isn't happening. Uh, there will come a time for that. Right now, we have to get together and get through this. And uh, we'll do that today with uh, NHL former NHLer Jeff Rogers. Played 821 games in the league, over 2,300 penalty minutes, and is a, a former captain of the san jose sharks we're going to talk about the nhl work stoppage right now and how it compares to ones in the past and it's it's impossible to compare it to this one uh but it's just so different so we will uh chat about that we'll chat a little bit about life right now um being a first year member of the san jose sharks uh, from the beginning and we'll also chat with him about uh, some of the the funny pranks that were played uh during his time in the National Hockey League. So uh, looking forward to bringing you that conversation uh, with Jeff Rogers, who is uh, also a former Brandon Wheat King. He billeted at one of my good friends, uh, one of my best friend, Rob Smith's house. And we billeted uh, at the same time. The parties always used to end up at our place for some reason. Not really sure how that happened. I think just my parents decided to go away a lot during that time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with uh, Jeff and bringing you that conversation. And I also want to tell you about uh, our top three today, uh, presented as always by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. Fantasy sports are great. And now with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, it's even better. More realistic than ever. You can own one of only 31 professional fantasy hockey franchises in the world. 23-man rosters, 27-player reserve list to stockpile for the future, daily roster moves, wickedly unique playoff format when we get there. And they do have something cooking right now uh, that uh, could help you pass the time. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Um, The playoff format is great, and they're not just players on your roster. They're digital assets, so you will use digital currency to buy and sell players. 
build a championship team or stockpile uh, for the future. There was only a few franchises left. One just sold the other day. So if you're watching us on YouTube, there's the uh, link right there on the screen for you to check out. Uh, if not, I'll give it to you right now. Grab a pen and paper. You can scroll back if you need to. It's www.airauctioneer.com slash UFF sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction airauctioneer.com dash UFF sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction open your free account make your bid and you will be notified uh, if you are indeed outbid so that's how you can get in the game where you own the game at ultimate franchise fantasy sports and now's a good time to start investigating this new platform you got a lot of time find your new fantasy league and it is the most realistic ever so our top three uh question is what are you watching right now during self-isolation what are the top three things you are watching right now during self-isolation i'll tell you i'm watching this right now during the show if you're watching on youtube you'll see bob nystrom there this is the uh on the right screen is the oilers islanders 1984 first stanley cup for the oilers my man andy mogan net versus billy smith and on the left screen I've got the Oilers Flames rematch after the All-Star break. The uh, the 8-3 game or whatever with the goalie fights. There you see Darnell Nurse. That's what I'm watching right now during this show. That's it, You can watch, if you have the NHL package, you can go on there and watch old games. And I just have this Oilers uh, Islanders game from my uh, collection as a kid. So uh, that's what I'm watching right now. What are you watching during self-isolation? What are the top three things that you are uh, watching while we are being responsible adults and self-quarantine, social distance? These things are important. So my honorable mention is when I need some, uh, some laughter, I go to Mike Tyson's Mysteries on Netflix. I don't know if anybody's seen this before or not. It's hilarious. Norm MacDonald uh, plays a pigeon in it. Uh, it's so funny. So Mike Tyson's mysteries on Netflix. They're like 10 minutes, 11 minutes long. Perfect. You can bang them out. They're so good. I've been into spy movies lately. So I've been, I watched Gorky Park last night. Um, I watched Anna the other day. So I've been watching some spy movies. Westerns. I'm always about Westerns. I love Westerns. I could watch them all the time. So I'm, Checking out some watch Hondo the other day. Uh, My name is Trinity. Pretty good one as well. Uh, And then classic games. Uh, Just like what I'm watching right now. Uh, Oilers, Islanders, Oilers, Flames. The other day I watched the 88 game two Smythe final. Gretzky overtime winner over the shoulder of Mike Vernon shorthanded. Uh, It was awesome. Uh, So I want to know what it is that is getting you through this self-isolation. What is What are the top three things uh, that you're watching? Uh, Stephen Hawks says, revisited Major League last night. Tonight, Bull Durham. Going full-out baseball movies for the next little while. All suggestions welcome. Uh, he's got a league of their own, eight men out, The Natural, and Sandlot. Uh, 42 is one of my favorite, be- uh, and, and uh, Field of Dreams. One of my favorite baseball movies. Uh, Nader says, uh, prime world series docs. 
and All or Nothing Sports Docs on Prime and Mr. Bean episodes. There you go, uh, Mr. Bean. Uh, there's uh, Dwayne Sutter in the penalty box for those of you watching on YouTube. Steve Boddington says Goliath and Man in the High Tower on Prime playing Password and Crib. I want to check out Man in the High Tower on uh, Amazon Prime. It looks pretty good. Andrew Poole, the best Super Bowl storyline featuring Bill Murray as Dr. Hunter S. Thompson in Where the Buffalo Roam. Big fan of Hunter S. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is one of my favorite movies. And me and my buddy Steve Cole dressed up as uh, Hunter S. and his attorney for Halloween. The best part about it was half of the uh, the Halloween party knew who we were. Uh, the other half didn't know. So uh, this uh, says, uh, so far, hard binging on music. And that's good, too. I was listening to a little crazy Neil Young and Crazy Horse earlier today. Game of Thrones from Brandon. And Ready Player One was awesome. Right now watching that 70s show for some comedy and uh, the sci-fi uh, with Altered Carbon from uh, At Ginger Eagle. So there you go. People are finding things to do. As uh, Oh, let's uh, switch back if you're watching on YouTube as the Oilers have just scored. I believe that was Yari Curry who put the Oilers ahead uh, in this, uh, what will be a clincher uh, for the Edmonton Oilers uh, against the New York Islanders. So uh, people are, are are getting through this their own different ways. Uh, I love uh, watching classic games, so I'll, I'll be doing that uh, quite a bit uh, over the, uh, the next little while um, here in my little studio. Uh, so that's our top three. What sort of things will you be doing? to get through this. Check out Podcast Alley, by the way. Uh, we'll have one-timers uh, later this week with Jeff Rogers. And uh, tomorrow, John Carl from the Alberta Cannabis Council will join me on Cannabis 101 Podcast to discuss how this situation is affecting the cannabis industry. Uh, there was word that the uh, the bailout, uh, that or whatever you want to call it, the stimulus package, uh, did not include the cannabis industry. So hopefully that'll change in the next little while because the, there's a lot of people in that industry that need to be self-isolated and a lot of stores will be closing and 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 so forth so uh, check it out at podcastalley.ca uh no uh prospects baseball show uh this week uh we're we're gonna pass on this week and hopefully get back at it next week jordan and i might do a little bit of a live streamer uh sometime this week so uh check out podcastalley.ca though for all your podcast needs, we've got uh, whatever show uh, you could want. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's simple. At Doc Millard on Twitter, at Sports and More Podcast on Instagram, Sports and More 35 on Facebook. And you can email me, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. All right, Jeff Rogers, former NHLer, is our guest on the show today. Before we get into that conversation, let's find out a little bit more about Jeff Rogers with the bio. Time for the bio. Jeff Rogers was born in Esterhazy, Saskatchewan, and grew up in a small town called Spy Hill. He moved to Brandon, Manitoba in 1986 as a 17-year-old and played four years in the Keystone Center with the Wheat Kings. He was invited to Minnesota North Stars camp, but was sent back to Brandon for his 20-year-old season. Then he signed a personal services contract with the San Jose Sharks, who were a year away from playing in the NHL. Looking for a place for him to play, they tried a team in Finland, but that was short-lived. 
So Odgers landed in Kansas City to play a season with the Blades in 1990 in the IHL. He was a Shark from 91 to 96, including wearing the captaincy for a few years. One year with the Boston Bruins, he then joined the Avalanche in Colorado from 97 to 2000 during the height of their rivalry with Detroit. And he finished his career with the Atlanta Thrashers from 2000 to 2003. In retirement, he's done some broadcasting, scouting, coaching, safety work at a potash mine, and mostly farming, with 100 head of cattle on his certified organic farm. Jeff, it's great to have you on Sports and More, the podcast, in what is a very, very bizarre time of our lives. Uh, how's how's things uh, going for you in Saskatchewan, uh, dealing with what's going on, COVID nineteen, and and the uh, the pandemic that is upon us right now? Well, it, it's affected everybody. I don't care where you live, and I think like a lot of people, I was one of these guys that uh, maybe thought everybody was overreacting and overblowing the situation. And as now it gets uh, closer to home and you realize it, you know, I realized I was wrong. It's something to be taken seriously. And it's uh, it's scary to think it's 2020 and something like this can actually happen. And we have no idea where it's going to end or how to stop it. And that's the scary thing, because I think right now we're we're so used to having everything in our control. And this is totally not in our control. Yeah. And I, I think the scary thing f- for me um, is, you know, seeing the numbers in Europe and, uh, you know, particularly Italy, uh, you know, France is going into lockdown, seeing those numbers and, and hoping that we can kind of get ahead of the curve as a lot of people talk about here, because um, you know, unfortunately you, you watch a lot of movies about this happening. And, and now I think fear is really starting to grip people and, you know, we have to be concerned, but we can't be panicked into, into, you know, making terrible decisions because there's enough of that with the toilet paper hoarding. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how, how people react, you know, here, here in Canada, you know, we're, we're hoarding toilet paper and I think south of the border they're lining up to buy guns and ammunition so everybody acts in such a you know a different way and uh when when fear sets in it's hard to know how people are going to react and uh it is and it's just a tough to know I just know one thing I'm kind of glad I made the decision move back to the farm and can kind of uh self-isolate every day yeah yeah, yeah, you could uh, hang out with the cows because uh, uh, they're, they're they're I think they're okay. Um, so on a on a different level, um, from a, a sports perspective, of course, you were uh, involved in the with the NHL for um, over eight hundred and twenty games. Um, work stoppages in the past. Um, I think you you probably were involved in two of them earlier in your career. Uh, but this is different than, than anything because this isn't a labor, you know, this is just such an unsure situation. Um, you know, what, what do you remember about your work stoppages that you played through and, and maybe how this is obviously a little different? Well, very different because it was a choice. I know the first time it was a really short one. The players went on strike when I was just, uh, I think it was my first or second year uh, in the league. Uh, and it was just for a few days, so you never really had time to, uh, you know, feel much. But the last one was was the lockout, and you know when we went through that. And I remember, you know, think training camp we started and then it ended, and then it just went on and on uh, into January. And I remember, you know, coming back home to the farm here and just a whole lot of uncertainty 
about your future and you're wondering if you made the right decision and maybe not voting for agreement and if you're going to play hockey again, how it's going to affect the rest of your life. But those are all decisions that either you made or the owners made. This one here is, is totally different. That a decision was made by something totally outside the sports world. And really, you know, we, we keep planning, we talking about, you know, hockey playoffs maybe starting or baseball starting, but there, there is a reality that we're going to go, you know, months and months without sports. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, when when you were involved in that, um, there would have been a, a portion of the Players Association that said, no, we don't want to have this lockout or we don't want to have uh, this strike. And, you know, there's always going to be back and forth. I don't think anybody right now is saying, no, I think we should still be playing. I think every athlete, every fan, every owner, every GM, every whatever realizes that this is the time to to put this on hold. So it's the, the one time where it's, it, it seems like every league is on strike right now because there's no games. It is such a weird, weird time because, you know, sports does fill a certain void for a lot of people. And, and if you're going to be stuck inside, you want to be able to watch something like that, right? It's such a weird time that everybody is in favor of not playing. That's never happened before. No, never. And, and if, you know, I don't think you know just how much, sports you watch like uh, you know I'm a busy guy got a lot of things going on so you know I didn't think I watched a whole lot of sports and then when right. it's gone for so long you, you realize you did that's because uh, whenever I did watch TV that's what I watched I'd get the end of a game or part of a game uh, always caught sports center at the end of the night just to see you know what was going on and, and who did what and what you missed uh, so I don't even think you realize how big sports is a part of your life. And I think a lot of people are coming to that, uh, that realization at the same time, everybody understands it's the right thing to do and it shouldn't, shouldn't be played, but it's still hard when it's been that big part of your life. Yeah. And it's nice to see that uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, players in particular, and they don't have to, but they are stepping up to help out the people that are affected by this, the people that are, you know, need those hours to make some money when there's a sporting event on. Uh, it should first come from the owners, and then if the players want to chip in, that's great. But um, I, I know some of the NHL teams caught some flack for not doing that, and and good on the players and the owners for, for you know, relenting or whatever it is, and the ones that stepped up in the first place to take care of people because um, it, it's unfortunate, but we, we all do have you – know, these some of these people, they depend on these hours to survive. Well, very much so. And I think that's one thing that hockey players have always been good at is recognizing just how fortunate, how lucky you are to be able to play a game for a living and and that you are paid well. And that there's a lot of people that make it possible for the game to go on or, or the team to, to exist uh, that don't make that kind of money that you do and are not as fortunate as you. And so, you know, I'll give my hats off to the hockey players. They've always been a pretty special group at understanding that it's more than just them and there's you need a lot more people to make things work well, for sure so uh, the the latest uh, thing that i saw today uh from uh darren Dreger on uh, tsn uh talking about the future of the season and the playoffs and the latest that i saw was they're thinking of this is a proposal from some of the players that they start training camps in july uh then you uh, finish the season and then you have playoffs in uh, uh, August and September, and the, the the cup awarded in September, draft free agency in October, and then you start the next season in November. That's a massively compact schedule when you get back to it, followed by a full season. 
What do you think about that? Ah, man, that would be tough, especially if you look at the the range of the spectrum. If you look at the team that doesn't not make the playoffs and all the time that they have off, and then the team that goes all the way and wins the Stanley Cup and then has to turn around and start the regular season. Yeah, I I, I don't think that's uh, a logical solution. Like I don't think that's something that's uh, going to happen. I just as tough as it is to say or do. I think if we have to go into July, unfortunately, th- this season is done, and then we just start over. Uh, you know, it's no. I know nobody wants that, but if we're looking at like July or August before we award a, a Stanley Cup uh, winner, even October, like you said, I, I don't think that works. I think you just unfortunately you have to write the season off and then start over. Do you think they should just uh, you know take the date of the where it is right now and say? okay, these teams are in the playoffs. If you were on the bubble, I'm sorry, this is out of our hands, and then just start the playoffs as soon as they start up? Or do you think they should finish the regular season if they can? Well, I think that all depends on timeline. I think if we're not going to start until uh, the middle of May, it, we just go right in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately for the teams that were right there, that's how it works. Somebody, the way their races are this year, somebody's going to miss the playoffs by one or two points or three or four teams. Uh, it's going to be like that, however it is, and nobody can control this. It's not something that was dictated by another team. Uh, the owners, they had no control over this virus coming in. So I think if we're going to not start into, let's say, May, it's just head on with playoffs. There's also been an idea being floated of having like 24 teams in the playoffs and and teams get buys and things like that. That gets a little too complicated for me. And, and, and again, you're dealing with time. You know, the more teams you have in the playoffs, the less time you're going to, or the longer the playoffs are going to go. Yeah, and then you're going to have to have, what are you going to have, like a, a best of three or a, or a one-game elimination uh, that you're going to come into. So, uh, no, I think you just take the way they are right now, where they sit, and uh, let's go. Okay, how about this? Just imagine it's a regular season and we don't have uh, this uh, pandemic upon us. Would you be in favor of having like a one game playoff? You know how Major League Baseball has their play in game, their wild card game. Do you think that would fly among the players in the NHL of more guys having an opportunity to get into the playoffs? I wouldn't mind that at all. So you're talking about for that last wild card position, have yeah. a one game playoff to see who gets. Uh, I wouldn't mind that at all. It just it adds one more team, and it's just one more you know, playoff race that you're following yeah. another team to generate some revenues and, and stay in it. Um, yeah. I, I'd have no problem with that at all. Yeah. Just one game. Um, the winner goes on and the loser goes home. So it's like an extra one extra day for the playoffs. Uh, I, I think that would be, you know, I think just the more uh, excitement you generate, right. That's, that's the whole goal is you generate that build up to get into the playoffs and then go the stretch run is some of the best uh, time of the year. Well, definitely, because usually your first game in the playoffs is game one of a seven-game series. Right. Where you're going to start the playoffs with a bang. Like, here we go, it's winner-take-all. So right away, you've got everybody in it. You've got everybody watching, all eyes on the NHL playoffs. And all of a sudden, you're bringing in people that may not have started following till later on. We have a one-game winner-take-all. I, I like it. You know, you generate that interest, that energy right off the start. All right, let's go back uh, to to uh, the kind of the beginning for you. You grow up in uh, in Spy Hill. How did you end up in uh, Brandon uh, with the Brandon Weekings as a seventeen year old? 
But a funny story, um, you know, you got to go through AAA midget before you play junior. Uh, I tried out for a AAA midget team uh, near my hometown in New Yorkton. I got cut. Um, and then uh, Kevin Kaminsky grew up in Churchbridge. He said, come to Saskatoon. He was playing there. Uh, so I made the team, the Saskatoon Blazers, the AAA midget team. And we had a young defenseman on that team named Kevin Shoveldeo. Yeah. And he was a Brandon, yeah. And he was a Brandon Weekings property. So Brandon was scouting him all year. Um, uh, and I hadn't been protected by anybody. They had no draft back then. They said protected list. Uh, so as they were watching, uh, Chevy play, they watched me play a number of times and ended up putting me in the Brandon Weekings protected list. So that's all, all that came into play. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and it's, uh, it's an amazing, uh, it's, it's amazing. The Brandon Wheat King mafia that's, uh, in the national hockey league right now, <laughs> where from Kelly McCrimmon to Chevy to, uh, Trey living like, uh, the Wheat Kings. And there's much more, uh, Vegas is basically Manitoba West right now. When you look at that entire organization, but it, it's amazing. The, the footprint that the Brandon Wheat Kings have throughout hockey. It, I was thinking about that today. Just uh, all the guys who ran. Then you throw in uh, Wayne Gullickson, you know, assistant coach, and right. Bob Woods in Minnesota. And they're just, it's scattered all through hockey. Uh, you know, Jason Taylor uh, played with a very successful agent. So mm-hmm. it's just no matter what level of hockey or, or capacity, with, uh, you mentioned Kelly McCrimmon being the GM, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, he was an assistant coach when I first got the brand in the year two and then became the general manager. So, no, it's a long list of guys that have done very well coming out of that Wheat King uh, family. So you were part of uh, a Wheat King time uh, that wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't think people would look back and say was the most successful wins and losses. It was, you know, the, the pre Trevor kid, Marty Murray trade that really turned that franchise around, but you had some pretty talented players on those Wheat King teams. You know what? We really did. Uh, that second year I was there, uh, we made the playoffs. We had four 50 goal scorers on the team. Uh, wow. We had Troy, Ken- yeah, we had Terry Ake, Dale Marquette, uh, Terry Menard, and Troy Kennedy. All four guys scored 50 goals. We made the playoffs by one point. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot of defense, let's put it that way, or a lot of uh, depth. But uh, we could score goals, and we had a pretty tough team. Uh, we ended up playing the Prince Albert Raiders first round. I think the first game one, I think we had close to 300 penalty minutes and the second game went to triple <laughs> overtime. And <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I spent four years there, but made the playoffs once and won one game. So. <laughs> <laughs> was, was PA your biggest rival? Uh, I, I remember Brandon and Prince Albert always had a great rivalry when I was growing up. You know what? It was a big rivalry. It was probably more for us. Like PA and Saskatoon were probably more of a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Regina, we always we always battle with. But the trouble is, when you're not really good, you can't really escalate that, right. that rivalry because rivalries are really built in playoff series is where they really escalate. And unfortunately, when I was there, like I said, we were only able to, able to get the playoffs once. Uh, my 20 year old year, we had a one game playoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Swift Current to see who made the playoffs. And unfortunately, I was suspended for that game, so I didn't even get to play in that game. It was my last game of junior, so, yeah. Uh, rivalries also thrive on location, and Brandon, and when you were playing, was the last stop on the East. Now there's Winnipeg, so there's kind of a nice uh, uh, regional uh, rivalry going on there. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, 
you billeted with, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Rob Smith and the Smith family. And, and we had Kevin Robertson at, at my house. Uh, and there were an awful lot of parties at my house with uh, Kevin Robertson uh, living and billeting it at my house. But, you know, that's one thing that maybe people don't understand that junior hockey does for the community is that. Um, you get to know the community, you get to know the people you're living with. And we had a great time. I loved billeting uh, hockey players. That's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. No. And, you know, I hope it's still uh, the same relationship, but you know, like I remember when I moved away to play junior, the only people I had were my teammates, mm-hmm. you know? So we, we did stuff together every day, every day after practice, or we'd even go to breakfast or, uh, after school or for lunch before practice. And we get together after practice, you know, we'd watch movies at somebody's place. And, and yeah, if there was a couple of days off, we probably all got together at uh, one of the billets house and, and, you know, had a bit of a team get together, but we were always doing something together. And you know what, even w- with the families, uh, the families I built it with, I've had a great relationship with all of them. Uh, you talked about uh, the Smiths. I was in Winnipeg uh, two weekends ago and went out for breakfast with Bonnie Smith, who's, nice. uh, you know, Rob's brother. So, you know, got to catch up and man, it's just so many of those relationships that just never go away. Yeah, it, it is so true. And, and you become part of the family and they become par- part of your lives. And uh, uh, you, you mentioned doing stuff with your teammates. And we mentioned the, the, the footprint. Uh, I just kind of wanted to ask you about Kelly McCrimmon and, and maybe kind of, you know, w- when you got there, as you mentioned, he was an assistant coach and then, you know, he's now the owner of the team and he's a GM in the NHL. And, you know, he was on my very first episode of this podcast and said that he planned to go home and farm after uh, playing hockey and, uh, you know, ended up getting into coaching and, and here he is. So just the impact that maybe he had on, on your career and, and, and so many others. Well, Kelly was awesome. Like I said, he was just getting into the coaching ranks. I believe um, he was in North Battleford for one or two years before he came to Brandon. And then he came to Brandon as an assistant. Um, and then the following year became uh, assistant GM, I believe, and then GM. And then he became head coach. Uh, Doug Sauter was a coach my 20-year-old year. He became sick. And then Kelly took over uh, as the head coach. And Kelly was always one of those guys that was – always ahead of the curve. He's always looking for an edge. Uh, and he got a lot of, you know, information from his brother, Brad. He was always talking to his brother. And at that time, you know, they were, uh, he was playing with the Calgary Flames. So he'd be getting, uh, you know, a lot of drills and their power play and, you know, doing a lot of things the Calgary Flames are doing, mixed with his own ideas. But he was always a guy that was looking for an edge. And he was good with people. He was a good judge of talent. Um, you know, he knew when to come down on you. He knew when to give you some rope. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed my experience with, uh, Kelly and he was young then. And, uh, I can only imagine as he got older, you know, the impact that he's had on so many guys and the reason that they were able to make the jump from junior to the NHL. Well, yeah. And he was able to turn that franchise around with the, the, you know, the trade obtaining Marty Murray, as you mentioned earlier at that time, nobody was drafted and the Spokane chiefs had listed Marty Murray right out. Uh, from underneath Brandon's nose almost. And it was like, here's this kid that everybody was talking about in, in Brandon um, about this superstar. And they traded Trevor Kidd for him. And now Trevor Kidd was one of those guys who didn't have great numbers, but really made a, he faced so much and so much rubber. Um, he was kind of in the tail end of your career in Brandon uh, when, when Trevor got there, wasn't he? No, he, he was. Yeah, I remember Trevor came in and he had such a, a laid back attitude, but yeah. man, he could, he could, he, he could stop a puck. He was kind of like a, 
he almost talked like a surfer dude, you know what I mean? And we got a kick out of it, but he was, uh, one thing when it come to playing the game, he was focused, he could stop the puck and he kept a lot of games closer than they ever should have been. I'll give him that credit. So, um, I like to say we had a hand in developing as a goalie, uh, giving him, you know, 60 to 70 shots against tonight. <laughs> no kidding. Um, you turning pro, uh, is, is kind of an interesting, so we were talking just before we, we started, uh, tell me the, the process of how you went from, from Brandon, uh, to ending up in San Jose with a stop in Finland in between. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, it wasn't your most direct route. Um, as a, you know, I went through the draft, uh, back then you were, you went through it three times. I had three drafts and two of them were 12 rounds, never got picked. Um, you know, went as a free agent to the uh, Minnesota North Stars camp, um, went there, fought everybody I could, uh, <laughs> tried to make a name for myself, you know, came back to junior for a 20-year-old year, uh, couldn't make their minor league team in Kalamazoo. And then I signed a uh, contract with the San Jose Sharks. Um, so I signed a contract with San Jose. The only problem was they didn't have a team the following year. So I signed a... a personal services contract for one year and then from there um, they had to find a place for me to play till the team started so they sent me over to Finland to try out for a team there and obviously as you can imagine if you've ever seen me skate um, <laughs> you, you understand I did not make that team Kansas City had an independent team in the uh, IHL um, so when I came back I phoned them and said where do I go now they said go to Kansas City uh, I went there and ended up actually uh, make, making the Blades uh, and played them for that year, ninety ninety one. Wow. Uh, and then that first year uh, with the Sharks, I mean, uh, that must have been wild. Uh, it's it's something brand new, and everybody, uh, like what Vegas just went through, everybody is new. Uh, you're, you're, you, know, so you might know some of these guys a little bit, but for the most part, I don't think a lot of people had, uh, you know, played – uh, with each other. What was that first year with the Sharks? Uh, what was it like uh, as far as, you know, on the ice, off the ice, uh, being in San Jose? What was that experience like? Well, for, for me, it was just everything was a whirlwind because here I was, a kid, you come off the farm, you're living in branding, and then you get one year in Kansas City, and all of a sudden you're playing in California <laughs> and living in California for an expansion team. You know what I mean? So every day is just exciting. You're going to the rink in your shorts. Yeah. This is awesome. The only trouble with the expansion then, we didn't have access to guys like the Vegas Golden Knights did. So we knew we were going to be bad. Um, but the thing that made it so interesting is the marketing they did in San Jose from all the way, just the way they marketed the team to the color scheme what was unbelievable. Those teal jerseys, took off everywhere. I think, you know, 50% of the hockey fans across North America had a teal jersey under the tree at Christmas time with the shark logo on it. I remember going into Buffalo our first year and there was probably more, just as many shark jerseys in the stands as there were Buffalo Sabres jerseys. Wow. And so it was an incredible job. And then the thing the sharks did also that was so well is the people they brought in were such character guys. Like I said, you didn't have access to the high-end skill guys, but they had character guys that just made it enjoyable for a guy like myself to play. Um, you know, even guys like Dean Edmondson and Paul Fenton and Kelly Kissio, Bob McGill, Doug Wilson, Wayne Presley, Neil Wilkinson, Rob Zettler, you know, just guys that were just good people and just really helped build me and my career. 
you had Doug Wilson, um, which is, uh, you know, now obviously pe- pe- today people think of Doug Wilson as a GM. Back then I thought of him as uh, just a, an all-star defenseman, but I didn't realize he was such a prankster. <laughs> he was such a great guy. You know what I mean? He, he was. He kept the room light. He kept everybody going. And you know what? You needed that in a time when, you know, you go in to play the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you are losing 10 to nothing after the second period. Yeah. You know, everybody's ready to jump off a bridge. And uh, I remember Doug grabbing our defenseman uh, after that game. We landed in St. Louis after the game. And he said, boys, you put your suitcase in by the door and you come with me. And he took all the uh, defensemen out and uh, they tried to figure it out uh, over maybe one or two beers. But he was <laughs> he was a great leader. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him just uh, how to conduct yourself and just a great people person. You guys obviously had some tough customers, uh, yourself, uh, Perry Anderson, Link Gates uh, was uh, uh, pretty tough. So you guys didn't lose many physical battles that year, I don't think. No, we were we were there to compete. But if you think back and you look back at all the other rosters, there was lots of takers there yeah. coming at you every night. It was, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, the whole Link Gates uh, thing was so unbelievable. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. The one story, I remember, we landed in Vancouver, uh, and all of a sudden, we look out the window and we're on the tarmac, and we're surrounded by uh, police cars. <sighs> and all of a sudden, they come, they make them open up the door right on the, tar- the tarmac, and they drag Link right off the plane, uh, pretty much at gunpoint. So it was a little bit of an eye-opener uh, also for a kid. Wow. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I don't know how you react to that as a team. I guess you just chalk it up to just, just another bizarre situation in our first season. Pretty much. It just kind of like the boys are saying, it's one more for the book of, uh, of life <laughs> of the shark. Cause it, you know, from that, uh, you know, the, the planes and, and everything, all the travel you had, uh, I remember our plane, we had mechanical problems with it. So we ended up having to fly commercial, the last half of that year and if you're on the west coast and oh man it was uh it was very eventful and then playing in the cow palace which a building that was uh, built uh, actually for rodeo right um to only hold about ten thousand nine hundred people i think and you had to walk up all these stairs to get to the dressing room it almost took all the energy you had just to get up to the dressing room after a period <laughs> uh, and it Remember in one corner, it was an old building, so it was raining and people were actually getting rained on inside the rink. They were watching the game, but uh, lots of memories. You you had to walk upstairs to get to your dressing room? Oh, and like, like 30, 35 steps oh to get goodness. up to your dressing room. It was the home team and the visiting team, so if you ended up in a, like in a long scrap, and they sent you off the ice, like you had to stand at the bottom of the stairs before you could even attempt to walk up the stairs. Oh my goodness. That's uh that sounds like a character building. Um, okay. This is a story I heard and you could tell me whether it's a myth or, or it's true, but it's about Link Gates and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Were you guys at some ski resort and Schwarzenegger was there and did Link Gates, did he like challenge him or something like that? Did that, did that ever happen? You know what? This story was, uh, we were in Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, our owner, George Gunn had uh, a place there. So we had a team outing there. So there's actually myself, Link, and our strength coach, uh, George Kinnear out of Calgary. We were working out at the gym in Sun Valley, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is there. And uh, 
you know, link being linked, just went up and just started uh, chatting with him and, uh, you know, invite him out to come watch practice, everything. And actually, I was part of that group and had a conversation with him. But yeah, Link and Arnold were standing there uh, having a pretty good conversation. Okay, so there was uh, I, there was never a challenge to an arm wrestle or anything like that. I always heard this bizarre story that, <laughs> you know, that, that and you know what, from what I had read about Link Gates, I think it wouldn't have been out of the question for him to say, let's see who's stronger. It, it definitely wouldn't have been, like not without a question. It, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have surprised me one bit. Uh, that's great. Um, I mentioned Doug Wilson um, and, and you know, him light, light in the mood. Were you a prankster? Were you, were you a guy that... Uh, you know, try to, you know, to, to get the rookies or uh, uh, get a teammate and, and, and all that stuff? Or were you a guy that just sat back and watched? I, I like to get involved in it, uh, you know, a little bit. I remember uh, I was playing with the Avalanche. Uh, we had such a, a great team. And uh, I had an uh, appendicitis, so I had to miss out a few games. So I was sitting around in the dressing room. And uh, at that time, everybody had one of those Nokia cell phones. I'm not sure if you remember yeah. it. Uh, you know, the black ones there with the short antennas attached. So I had my uh, owner's book there with me. So I went through in between periods and I changed everybody's language to Portuguese on the whole team. <laughs> well, when they're out for the third period. So the way it worked, you know, yeah, you play the game, you, everybody's finished, they get showered. You know, everybody does their interviews, they put on their suits, they go to the bus, and everybody usually goes to, you know, call home. And everybody on that phone uh, bus at the same time went to pick up their phone and couldn't even figure out how to dial out because all their uh, languages changed to Portuguese. So that was probably one of mine, something that uh, got a good kick out of. Oh, that's good. I, I love that. I've heard of people doing that. I've never understood how they did it, but... Uh... Uh, it's impressive. Before before you ended up in uh, Colorado, you wore the C uh, for a number of years in in San Jose. Um, what was that like? What was the honor of of being told you were going to be the captain of an NHL team? It, it, it was kind of surreal. You know, what I mean, it's something that uh, you never expect to happen. Um, and we had we had traded Bob Airy, um, and we were needed the captain and, you know, probably the thing that was probably the best part about it or the thing I was most proud of, it was, it was voted on by the players. You know, it wasn't something that was given to you by management or whatever. It was, uh, put to a vote by the players. Um, uh, so for me, that was definitely one of my, uh, more prouder moments, uh, personally while playing, I guess, as non-team related to have that happen. And like I said, to be have voted on by my teammates made it even more special. And then you uh, end up eventually in uh, Colorado, and uh, I had Chris Dingman in in studio uh, a while back, and he was telling me some uh, pretty funny stories. But we got to talking just about you know the players that you guys played with in in Colorado. I mean, you know, the three Hall of Famers right off the bat of Sackick uh, and Forsberg and and Patrick Waugh. You know, from going from San Jose where you're building something from the ground up to Colorado where you're playing with Hall of Famers, that what was that like? Well, to tell you the truth, there was one year in Boston in between there. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. Yeah. And it was what had happened. Uh, I went to Boston. Uh, we finished last place in the league. You know, I went to Boston. It was my favorite team growing up. I was excited to go there. They hadn't missed the playoffs in 29 years. I go there. We finished dead last. <laughs> so, you know, so, so anyways, uh, Steve Casper was a coach. Uh, they end up firing Steve Casper at the end of the year. Uh, Pat Burns comes in, uh, new coach comes in, he brings in his guy. So he brings in Kenny Baumgartner with him. 
Uh, so that makes me responsible. So they pretty much, they send me to the minors and they tell me that's where I'm going to basically spend the year. And I'm just like, what? somebody's hit me over. Yeah. It's like somebody hit me over the head with a, a sledgehammer because it was like, this is it. I went, I played 400 games. Like I said, I was the captain of an NHL team a year ago and now I'm in the minors. And all of a sudden I get, I get that break. You know what I mean? I get uh, the avalanche are looking for a guy uh, to come in. And so I walk into that dressing room. So I went from the last place team in the league in Boston to the Colorado avalanche. When, like you said, you have all those guys in that room and it was, uh, you know, a break that I'll never forget. I swore after that. Not that I thought I did, but I would never, ever take one day for granted in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it, it, that's so interesting um, because it, it gives you that, uh, you know, reminder that, hey, this is this is a, a, a privilege that very few get. And, and I imagine, like you said, you, you really appreciated it. But you get to play in Boston, as you mentioned, a team that you idolized, uh, Bobby Orr, uh, was your idol, um, and and that's a that's a, a city that they don't uh, they don't give you a lot of passes when it comes to sports teams in Boston, do they? Not at all. I remember one particular game where we were playing terrible. The guy walked all the way down from the top of the concourse there, all the way down to the ice. Brand new Bruins jacket, took it off, and he threw it over the glass onto the ice and walked oh. away shaking his head. <laughs> I just like, eh, it's for real. Like, it was, they're passionate fans, great fans, and uh, unfortunately that year, just nothing really worked for us. Uh, so, Colorado, um, Sackick, Forsberg, Patrick Waugh. I just, I just met, wonder if you could uh, can, tell me a little bit uh, that, that maybe you gleaned off of those three guys. Uh, you know, Patrick Waugh seems to be the most competitive guy that I've ever heard of. Dingman told me a story about. He just tore apart Sackick and and Forsberg one time, and Bob Hartley even he he didn't really care who uh, who he was uh, getting angry about because he just wanted to fire guys up. But what did you learn from those guys? You know what? It's funny with, with Patrick Wog. I think I probably had the same perception what everybody did about Patrick before you you meet him, you play with him. Maybe a little arrogant, you know, flamboyant. But uh, after playing with him, you realize that everything he does is for a reason. Um, you know, we lived in the same neighborhood, so we would drive to the, the games together. And if there was ever a goalie that should have been a captain in the, the National Hockey League, it was Patrick Waugh. Yeah. He knew every part of the game from your power play to your penalty kill to a fourth line guy like me that would play, you know, limited ice time. He'd remember every one of my shifts. He'd remember if I got a puck out or if I made a play or if I didn't make it. He was just so into the game. Wow. And, uh, and whenever he did those things that were you, you come across as maybe you'd look at as flamboyant or, you know, selfish, they were solely to make that team better for the team to win. There was a method behind his madness for everything. So if he was going to, and I remember that time that uh, Bob Hartley pulled him in Anaheim and uh, instead of using a timeout, Craig Billington came in and the way it worked, uh, Billington, I believe, ended up getting the win. And Patrick didn't care about that. But he was proving a point about getting pulled, and you know he came in and uh, totally destroyed the dressing room and a TV with a goal stick, and <laughs> just went after everybody. Yeah, he didn't care. You know what? And and I I just love his competitiveness. I I mean I think he is uh, exactly what you want in a in a teammate, whether he's a left winger, a defenseman, or a goalie. Patrick Waugh just wanted to win and did everything he could to do it. 
Well, he did, and it didn't matter. Like he lived, eat, breathed, slept hockey. And then he owned a part owner in a junior team mm-hmm. when he was playing there too. So if he wasn't worried about our team, he was on the phone about his junior team. So he, like, he just lived it. He lived the game, and I got, uh, you know, I learned a lot from Patrick and just about compassion and competitiveness. And uh, no, he he was a great teammate. Uh, you finish your NHL career with the Thrashers, uh, so you're helping another organization uh, start up. Um, what, a little bit different than uh, starting up in San Jose than than what you guys were doing in Atlanta, though, wasn't it? It was, and and I came in on the other end. You know, I was the guy, a veteran guy that they brought in who had been through the expansion process before, and this is actually year number two uh, for Atlanta. Um, and George Kingston, uh, who was my coach in San Jose, was an assistant coach with Atlanta, so we had some history there. Uh, so they brought me in uh, in kind of a, a role to help going through it, uh, hopefully teach some of the younger guys how to be a pro and work ethic and stuff. And, you know, got to play with guys like uh, Eatley and Kovalchuk. And, you know, Ferraro was there and Andrew Burnett was there. So there was, there was a lot of good players that went through there and just unfortunately just couldn't quite get it together. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it had the opposite effect uh, or impact, rather, as uh, that you guys had in San Jose, where, as you're saying, San Jose jerseys everywhere, and then Atlanta, we know, uh, is no longer. So uh, it's unfortunate, but it, it did lead to a team getting back in Winnipeg. So uh, there were some good things that uh, came out of that Thrasher's, fr- Thrasher's franchise, for sure. Well, it was. I actually was at a speaking at a dinner in Winnipeg, and I said that exact thing, same thing. I'd like to take a little bit of credit for the Jets coming back after <laughs> helping to make Atlanta so bad. um how about some teammates who was who was uh, some of the really funny teammates that you played with because you know we we I worked in the media for a long time and, and you don't get to see a personality come out in a pre or a post game clip uh, where they're focused and, and hockey players seem so much more reserved than everybody else in front of the cameras in the dressing room out with team dinners guys are a different story guys lighten up who were some of the really funny guys that you played with oh man you know one of the the first guys I played with a guy is uh, Kenny Hammond uh, you know, probably not a name that a lot of people recognize, but he was nonstop. It didn't matter where you were in the dressing room, on the bus, in the airport. Uh, and he would do some pranks. I remember he would, we'd find commercials, just open up a whole avenue uh, of things to, to pull. And I remember he was one of the guys, he'd put the $5 bill on the, on the fishing line and <laughs> people would go by and then he'd start pulling it in and old ladies would be flipping out on him and hitting him with their purse. They'd be so mad. One of the best pranks, it's, funny but it's not is they had a, a duffel bag set up and uh they were pretending like they had a, a dog in his duffel bag and the one guy was pretending getting mad at the dog and he was kicking a duffel bag and kenny hammond was making a, a whining noise like there was a dog was being kicked in there oh so it was well, it was like i said it's funny but it's not because yeah. you know it's not really a dog but but watching people's reaction and how upset they would get and come at you was uh it was pretty funny. So, like I said, flying commercial when you got, you know, 25 guys with, with time to kill, it's a, it's amazing some of the stuff that they would come up with. So, no, he he was definitely one of the first guys I played with that was it was really funny. He needed to have his own hidden camera show or something like that. Oh, he did. And he knew, 
you know how those guys just know everybody's little intricacies and, and how to get to them. Yeah. You know, and, the, and the, we, you know, have guys that would, would tell stories. So once the one guy would tell a story, then Kenny would tell a story that was just a little bit better. So then he knew <laughs> the other guy was coming back with one that even popped because you could never outdo him. So it was just nonstop entertainment on the, on the bus from the, the plane to the, to the rink. Uh, you were no stranger to, uh, to dropping the gloves in junior. And, and, you know, you know, you said you went to a camp and you fight, uh, as many people as you can. What do you remember about the first time uh, that you dropped the gloves in the NHL? What what comes back to you about that moment? You know, we uh, the first game uh, when San Jose had their first year, um, I was one of the first cuts that got sent home at training camp. So I got sent to Kansas City, who was their affiliate. Uh, went and played, I think, twelve games in the with the in the IHL with Kansas City, and then you get that phone call you kind of waited your whole life for. So I get called up uh, to Nassau Coliseum to play against the Islanders. And George Kingston was a coach. And like I said, you know, George Kingston is one of the men, uh, hockey or not, that I respect the most. One of the nicest, most thoughtful, caring men I've ever met in my life. Um, and, you know, he, he calls me in the office before the, the game. And he knows I'm nervous and I'm all wired up. And he says, you know what, Aji, you're not here just to fight. We want you to play. Don't worry about fighting. And I'm just, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> so, Second shift, I run into Mick Makota, uh, who's playing for the New York Islanders. And uh, we drop the gloves, have a scrap. It's right along the bench. I remember him picking me up and almost throwing me right into the New York Islanders <laughs> bench. And I was thinking, oh boy, I'm going to have my hands full up here fighting these guys if they're all this strong. So that was, yeah, game one, second shift. I guess we might as well get at it. You just thought, just get it uh, out of the way, and then I won't be nervous about it, maybe, I guess, eh? Well, it was. I actually calmed down after that. It was actually the best thing I could have done. I just kind of settled down. Um, I remember that game. My centerman was Mike Sullivan, who's uh, obviously the head coach of the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Penguins. And the, on the other wing was uh, Dave Bruce. Um, he's a guy that he played a bit with uh, Vancouver Canucks before, and he was playing with us in Kansas City. So that was our line. The whole line got called up from Kansas City, and we stayed together for our first game. Was there a guy that you looked forward uh, to to fighting? Uh, you know, most guys, you were pretty good. Um, you know, the one guy that had a real rivalry with uh, Warren Reichel. Okay. We, we really battled. And then we ended up uh, being teammates. Uh, I think we fought uh, probably four or five times. And I remember getting our team pitcher in, in Colorado when we were standing beside each other and we're getting the team picture taken and said, this is the closest we've ever been together with our gloves on. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, what do you think about the, the role of uh, the enforcer? Was it, was it a role that, that you enjoyed? Um, you know, I, I've, I've talked to different guys that uh, like J- Jason Strudwick, for example, says as long as his teammates, you know, respected him and, and appreciated him. He he had no problem doing that job. Uh, what was it like for you to be that guy? Well, you know what? Part of me enjoyed it because you, you enjoyed being that guy that was there standing up for your teammates and you knew if something went sideways, your teammates knew you'd be there for them. So, and once you did it, it was fine. It was just probably like lots of guys, it was the anxiety just leading up to it. It was a little bit uncomfortable and was a little bit stressful. But as far as the actual doing the job and knowing that was my role, it's something I took a lot of pride in um, and, you know, uh, didn't mind doing it. How about 
your favorite goal that you scored? Maybe not your first, but it might be. But do you have a, a goal that just stands out uh, in, in your career as being like, yeah, that was pretty impressive? Oh, man. Um, probably, I think I've only had maybe ever uh, one breakaway. And I uh, scored it uh, year number one uh, against uh, Mike Vernon in the Cow Power for Calgary. And I remember it because it was, uh, I think it was my 10th goal of the year and I needed it for a big bonus too. So it was a breakaway goal, scored it. So that was, that was probably one that stands out. I was uh, kind of proud of, I guess. Did you celebrate a lot? Or you... Oh, for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, for sure I did. <laughs> you kept it under control though, because, you know, you were smart enough to know if you over-celebrated or tried <laughs> showing somebody up. It, right. it was a little different then. You know, I, I still... I'll never forget, you know, just the difference in thought process. Uh, the first year I retired, they brought in the, the shootout. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had just finished playing a senior hockey game. I had come home, um, and Washington and I believe the Rangers were in a shootout. And you probably remember this goal. But anyways, Malik Murray goes down, or Merrick Malik goes down, goes between his legs and goes top shelf yeah. on, uh, on Colzig. And I remember watching that game on my couch and I came off the couch and I, I wanted to jump on myself. I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> and cause you just never did anything like that to show anybody up yeah. or, or another team. That was just the way it was. And, but that was just kind of the start of it. Now you got guys putting pucks between their legs and uh, scoring lacrosse goals and nobody seems to get upset, you know, and, when I see somebody score a lacrosse goal, I still I still get mad. I you know just, but that's kind of the way it's changed, I guess. Well, it, it is, and you know the I don't know if you you would agree with this, but the instigator rule is the reason that I think there's so much garbage. Uh, and and I'm not saying the whole league is garbage, but the garbage that that happens happens because guys, there's no retribution. The instigator rule. That's that's my thought process from a guy who, you know, lived through that. I I, I wonder what your thought is. I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like that old guy that played that uh, well back when I played, but I, I look at all the guys that were stars. You look at Lemieux, you look at Gretzky, you look at Eiserman, you look at Sackick, you look at Brett Hull. Not one of those guys ever had a concussion. You know, and it was just there were so many kind of unwritten rules and things that there's a fine line between crazy and stupid. You know, and mm-hmm. even though you come across as crazy you still know when it's stupid. So you know what you can and can't do. Even if it's a split-second decision, you know what you're doing. So if you know the repercussions, you know what's going to happen, you know there's a consequence, you're going to think twice. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, there, there's got to be a balance. Uh, you know, like the the, the role of the... Uh, you know, enforcer, one team having that guy has obviously been been weaned out. Uh, there's still physicality. I mean, we just watched uh, the Battle of Alberta, the best it's ever been this year. I mean, that the Cassian Kachuk, uh, the goalie fight and everything, like that was the best advertisement for the NHL uh, ever to have that physicality still in the game, in my opinion. Well, it was, and it was done the right way. Right. You know what I mean? It was all done the right way. Matthew Kachuk, he, he realized what he did. Like, he caught Cassian from vulnerable positions, and those were bad hits. Uh, you know, the Ingus suspended for him, and, but he knew there were there some things that aren't suspendable that are worse than things that are done that you get suspended for, and those were a couple bad hits. He knew after the game that uh, he had done that, and he knew he had to pay the price. He stood up the next game. He fought Cassian. 
it was over and, and move on. And you know what? I agree. What a selling point. Uh, I watched that game live and that's as the excited and most I'd been into a game uh, for years. Yeah, it's uh, it was just brewing. And then, the fact that if they do get around to a playoff, that we might see a battle of Alberta in the playoffs again, because as you mentioned, you know, when we go back to talking about, you know, Brandon and Prince Albert and, and there was just no playoffs. Uh, once you get into the playoffs, that's where rivalries and that's why the 80s uh, Oilers Flames rivalries uh, were some of the best in hockey. I was you know, watching some of the games the other day and, you know, there was great skill and there was a ton of physicality. Well, for sure. And, then, and you know, with the rivalry, we talked about that when I went to Colorado. That's when yeah. uh, the Detroit-Colorado Detroit rivalry was, was at its max. I think uh, my first game was Colorado in Detroit. Probably six or seven games after I got there were playing in Detroit. And this is after all that stuff had happened. Uh, and McCarty and Lemieux had this whole thing leading up to it. Well, I start that game on a line with Forsberg and Lemieux, and I get started against Darren McCarty. And I, I know why I'm starting there. I'm not, you know, so I'm lining up for opening faceoff. Claude Lemieux comes over, taps me on the pants, and says, switch wings. And I'm kind of looking at him going, I'm not really supposed to. I know why I'm here, but right. it's closed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, right, and, and rightfully, Claude did what he should have did. You know, so I went over to the, to the other wing and the puck drops and McCarty and, and Lemieux go at it because it, it was the right thing to do. You know, I, I come back to the bench and Crawford's looking at me, what are you doing? And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? He told me to switch. Uh, but no, and then every game we played against Detroit, there, even for warm-up, every seat was full because nobody wanted to miss just by chance if something went sideways before the game even started. There was just that anticipation and that feeling in the rink during the whole game that, uh, yeah, it's just awesome as a player and as a fan. I mean, that rivalry was nasty. I mean, it was really, really nasty, but it was also good. Like the teams were so good. It's, you know, it's a lot like the eighties Oilers and flames. I mean, that smite division during the eighties was, was a killer on the Winnipeg jets. If anybody, cause the flames and the Oilers were so good, but you guys we're gonna, you know, have to get through each other to get to the to the Stanley Cup final. What do you remember about the build up to those games as a player? Do you get goosebumps too before those those types of rivalry games? You do for sure, without a doubt. Uh, you know, you're amped up. You can't sleep. Uh, you know, the afternoon before the game, you usually have an afternoon nap, and and you can't sleep in anticipation. You just want to get to the rink, you want to drop the puck, and get playing because that's you know actually once the game starts, you can kind of relax and you just kind of get into game mode but the anticipation up to it is you know for a fan it's fun because you can go out and you can celebrate and have some fun you can talk about it all but as a player for me it was yeah it, it was something you just couldn't let go and then you get into the game and like you said you kind of settle into being in the game but were those games different than the other games as far as how physical they were as far as how intense they were as far as you know, just the, the, the overall atmosphere. Were, were those games a little bit above some of the other games? Is Like, no offense, but like a, a Tuesday against St. Louis or something like that? Without a doubt. You know, because that whole, even the regular season, it had that the kind of that playoff feel, that, that extra vibe, and the players could feel it, and the speed picked up, the hitting picked up, everything was done at a higher level, and everything was, you know, analyzed after the game. It was just every play was went over, and whether every sports talk show you 
you listened to or you, or you watched it. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. Let's wrap up with, uh, hopefully we get, uh, you know, live sports back and, and society, uh, you know, returns to some sort of normalcy soon. Uh, we are going to have to be patient, but when you do watch hockey, who do you love to watch? Who, who's a, who's a guy that makes you tune in to watch, uh, on, on a different given night? Oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Jets fan. Mm-hmm. Obviously with Chevy being there. Um, you know, I, I like the way, you know, uh, Wheeler and Shifley. I like watching those two guys play. Um, the, the guy that retired this year, but the Bufflin, he was yeah. a guy that I, I really enjoyed because he was, he was such a wild card, you know, and he was so strong and such a freak of nature. He could do so many things that, uh, you know, you, you couldn't believe. And you never knew what he was going to do. I remember watching him kill a five on three and he, <laughs> he takes off up the ice to lead the rush. <laughs> and he's, he's killing a five on three. So he, he would make coaches pull their hair out, but you know, he had the ability to do so many things. He'd grab, uh, was it against Calgary. They had a bit of a scrum and he comes out of the scrum with two guys, yeah. with six foot, 200 pounds in each hand. You're shaking them back and forth. Uh, man, those guys are fun to watch. Yeah. And you know what is it? As a team, that St. Louis Blue team last year uh, in the playoffs, they, they played hard and they made you pay the price. And uh, their style, uh, you know, kind of, I could see, you know, their coach, Bruby, was probably one of the most respected guys I played against and just tough. And he was able to get to those guys and make them believe in themselves. And you could tell they were playing for a cause. They have so much depth on that organization. Even this year without Tarasenko, they were still tearing it up because they have so much wave after wave. You know, they don't have a, a Crosby or a McDavid, but they got a whole whack of guys uh, right through to the to the ninth player in the forwards that can score on you. I mean, Bozak is on their third line, and he'd be on. He could be a second line center on a lot of teams. And, and you know what? They care. You can tell. You watch that team, and they care. Like they, they play for the jersey, they play for the coach, they play for themselves. You can tell that they've done a great job of bringing that team together. And when you find a team that comes together like that, well, crazy things happen. And you look at where they came from last year, January 7th or 8th or whatever, to winning the Stanley Cup. Um, that's a credit to how those guys come together. Don't you want to see a movie made on that? I mean, I just all I want to see like the. Uh the bar scene and, and maybe it's Mark Wahlberg is one of the players. I don't know, stands up and starts singing Gloria. I mean, that just sounds like such a cool hockey story. It should be made into a movie. It would, because you know, those years where things go like that, there's, there's certain turning points, uh, where it happens. You mentioned Gloria. There's just those little things along the way that when they happen, you don't think they're that big, but as it goes, it just manifests itself. And you realize that, you know, without that happening, Maybe it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's bizarre. Uh, Jeff, this has been uh, a, a lot of fun. Uh, I, I've wanted to chat with you uh, for a while. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was a fan of yours when you played with uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings and was able to follow your career. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, enjoy life on the farm. And hopefully we'll have one giant party when we uh, get back to some sort of normalcy. All right. Well, if you ever need a place to come hide out and retreat, uh, my door is always open. Away. 
This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Got nothing to drink. How do you smile? No longer a child. Big thanks to Kevin Dabbs. And uh, Christian Gutzis, the uh, voices behind uh, and the instruments behind Sweet Bejesus. That's the music you just heard. That was I Got Time from their debut album, Policeman's Creek. And a big thanks uh, for them uh, to allowing me to use their music as the official band of Sports and More, the podcast. Check them out on Apple Music, wherever you can find it, their debut album, Policeman's Creek. And I'm really happy for my friend Kevin. Uh, His daughter Madison was in Italy recently and uh, is now back in Canada. So... Uh, very, very thankful for them. She is in uh, her uh, quarantine and being taken care of and tested. Uh, so I'm very happy uh, for that family uh, that was uh, able to uh, reunite. Uh, I can't imagine how scary that would be for a parent. And of course, big thanks to Jeff Rogers. Man, that was fun. Uh, I was a bit, I was a fan of his uh, as a week king, and uh, I loved it. And I really wanted to get that Link Gates story uh, sorted out because there's so many myths about Link Gates. Uh, if you were, uh, you know, a, a child of the early '90s of, of my age group, uh, in the mid '70s we were born, um, it was bizarre. You just heard, heard these weird stories. So I always heard that he had challenged Schwarzenegger to an arm wrestle or something like that. So bizarre stuff, though. When your plane gets, uh, you know, surrounded by cops and they take one of your players off, uh, you're a little bit worried. So big thanks to Jeff Rogers. 821 games in the National Hockey League and a former. Captain. All right, uh, time now for the uh, the Myron French question of the day, the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. Uh, I call it the Myron French question of the day because uh, it's an ode to my old high school law professor, Myron French, who would start every class with the question of the day. And uh, sometimes it would uh, be thought-provoking. Other times uh, we would just move right along. But I hope this one today... Uh, is a lot of fun. Here is the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. What should I watch tonight? As I uh, mentioned earlier, um, I'm going with the uh, Oilers Islanders uh, cup clinching game. First cup for the Oilers right now, as well as the uh, Oilers flames uh, from a Saturday night, a few weeks back uh, where all heck broke loose. Uh, So I want to know what I should watch tonight though. Uh, Your choices are Canada cup 84, it was Canada and uh, the USSR. Last game at Yankee Stadium, Gretzky's 1,851st point night or boys on the bus. You can vote at Duck Millard on Twitter and have your say in what I will be watching tonight. One TV will have a sport. The other TV will have a movie. Uh, so right now, boys on the bus is leading the way with 39% of the vote. Canada Cup, 84, 35%. I hope that wins because I haven't watched that in a long time. I actually did recently watch Boys on the Bus. Last game at Yankee Stadium, only getting uh, 7% of the vote. And Gretzky's uh, 1,851st point night, which, of course, took place at Northlands. That has 19% of the vote. So I'll keep that updated on uh, Twitter uh, later on this evening and let you know what it is I am watching. I watched the punch-up of Piastani last night. Uh, man, that was uh, it was such a wild wild situation 
You can find out more details about Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports at uffsports.com. Uh, and as mentioned, they're they're coming up with a unique format to keep you entertained while there's no live sports. I'll keep you posted. Keep it locked on at Duck Millard uh, for all the details with that. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and uh, leave us a review. Really helps us uh, to uh, make this show better, knowing what it is you like and what it is maybe you would like to skip. So if you did, uh, please leave us a review and subscribe. If you would like to be a part of the show, as an advertiser, please email me, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Um, I want to help out uh, people in this uh, drastic times that we're in right now, especially economically. Uh, we don't know what this is going to do. So um, would love to give some shout outs to some people. Uh, I've had Acme Meat Market work with me in the past. I've uh, really, really uh, enjoyed my relationship with them. So um, if you're a, a business out there that needs a little bit of help, let me know. And uh, let's uh, make sure that when we can, we are supporting our local economy. Thanks so much for joining me here on Sports and More, the podcast. Jeff Rogers was my guest this week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I uh, got some fun things lined up for the next little while, hopefully, to keep you entertained. Have yourself a great week. Stay safe and please. Stay healthy. Playtime is over.